Welcome back to episode number 25 of the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. How are you doing, bud? Oh, strap in. This is going to be a long one. Yeah, this this is this is something I'm very, very much looking forward to. Uh, and I think it's quite fitting that we talk about Shadow Gallery, one of the bands that I think have influenced us, us the most, uh, for our 25th episode. But before we get there... Um, we got some interesting feedback last week from our from our Dokken episode, very positive. Uh, but I thought I would read one message that we got, which was particularly interesting. Uh, it says the following: um, Just want to say that the best tracks from last week's Dokken album were by far Soul Spells covers of "We Got the Right" and "The Wake of Magellan." So I guess we have one person that's not a Dokken fan, but they did listen to the episode, and we appreciate that. Uh, and it just made me chuckle because uh, I, I guess they enjoyed the the cover. Covers more so than the uh, the 1987 glam metal. Yeah, I, that was uh, a very funny message to to receive, and 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 that I was thinking the same thing that like it, it is showing us that people are paying attention to uh, some of the stuff that we're talking about um, at the beginning of the episodes as well. So that's always cool to hear that we're at least getting uh, these other bands a couple extra clicks on youtube and, and what have you so good yeah, to, always, always good to hear definitely and uh, obviously we'll keep doing that but we are not going to do that today and the reason we are not going to do that today is we are going long form on shadow gallery uh prog metal from pennsylvania and i would say uh one of the finest bands to come out of the u.s but before we get into shadow gallery let's talk about why we're doing shadow gallery uh as we said we had multiple requests for this band and, and i'll actually let you take over from here and tell a little bit about how that came to be yeah so um our our friends uh nick and amy both um had suggested um why don't you do an album from shadow gallery and nick uh as a matter of fact, I'm going to read exactly what uh, both of them said to us so that um, you can kind of get an idea. Um, Nick said, uh, there are certain albums that have really stood the test of time for me, and Shadow Gallery's Tyranny is one of them. To me, this album is just as catchy and memorable today as it was roughly 20 years ago when I first heard it. While the lyrics may be dated with talk about dial-up internet and chat rooms, the music has more than held up. This may be a band that fewer of your listeners are aware of, and I'd love to get your take on the album and hopefully help more people discover it. And then uh, Amy said, I was just getting into metal when I first heard Shadow Gallery. I had started listening to mostly power metal, which introduced me to a whole world of music I couldn't believe I had missed out for so long. Then came Shadow Gallery, and they were so unique compared to anything I'd heard before. I loved their sound and how they mixed everything together. When I suggested Shadow Gallery for the podcast, I was going back and forth between which album I wanted to request. How could I just pick one? I narrowed it down to Carved in Stone or Tyranny and suggested they could pick their favorite. I'm looking forward to hearing how Chris and Justin discuss the, the entire discography. I hope we haven't heard the last album from Shadow Gallery yet. And, I uh, um, can definitely echo those sentiments. Yeah, for we'll, sure. We'll get there. Uh, when I spoke to Amy in person, she um, she kind of broke her tie and she had said um, if she had to pick one, she would pick Carved in Stone, which made me laugh because Nick had picked Tyranny. And I was thinking to myself, like, oh, well, maybe we could do both albums. And then I'm like, you know what? If we're going to do two Shadow Gallery albums, that's a third of their entire discography. Why not just talk about 
the entire discography, the history of the band and, and kind of do our, our very first, uh, you know, like you said, long form, you know, band biography kind of thing. Um, so that's kind of how it, uh, how the whole thing germinated. It was from just, uh, Nick and Amy's suggestions and it kind of snowballed into this whole thing. And we've been spending pretty much the last three weeks or so, uh, boning up on our, our shadow gallery, uh, some albums that, uh, we hadn't listened to in a while or maybe never listened to as much as we might've liked initially. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how the whole thing came together. And, uh, I'm really, really looking forward to this because I think that, um, there's such a fascinating band and we'll get into so many of the, the aspects of it, but, um, just the fact that like they were, a non-touring band for so long oh yeah i mean we'll 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 definitely get into that but i i think that really does set the backdrop as to um why we're doing it and i'm actually particularly happy that we're doing shadow gallery um for this kind of an episode because you know some of the bands that we've done um are are more current bands that are still you know producing albums on a regular basis bands like amaranth um and stuff like that and then you have other bands you know like stalwarts uh, in the genre, like a band like Iron Maiden or a Fate's Warning. This is different because I think a lot of people that are listening may not be that familiar with the band. Um, but yet I think that one of the things that will resonate through this is that despite their uh, technical prowess, they are so accessible to so many different types of ears um, that, that I think it's really just a good band to, to kind of hone in on. Uh, and with that, let's, let's get right into it. We'll, we'll kind of do this, I think, in a little bit of a historical fashion, which is slightly different than the way we do things on, you know, on a, on a normal week. But I think there's no better place to start than the beginning. Um, do you want to get into a little bit about where these guys came from and how they kind of started in the, you know, the early to mid eighties? Sure. Um, while their, their first album was, uh, was released in uh, 1992, but the band itself had been uh, formed in the early 80s, actually, and um, they were called Sorcerer, uh, which is is kind of funny because now there's a, a doom metal band. Um, what country are they from? I feel like you would know that off. Are they uh, Swedish? Uh, Sweden, yep. Yeah, so there's a Swedish doom metal band uh, called Sorcerer now, but uh, their original name was Sorcerer, and they went by that moniker until uh, 1991. And uh, they changed their name to uh, Shadow Gallery, which was named after the underworld hideout of the main character V in um, the graphic novel V for Vendetta by Alan Moore. Um, I always thought, like, when I first... Because they were one of the first bands I had heard of when I first got into metal and i always thought that was such a cool name for a band i didn't know where it came from but i just thought it was a really neat kind of name kind of had like an air of mystery to it um but like for a prog metal band like it's such a i just thought it was such a a a cool name so yeah it it was a cool name and 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 it's interesting that this is one of the first bands that we heard and i will fast forward a little bit just for context we both heard them around the same time. I can speak for myself. I heard them in 1998, right after Tyranny had come out. Um, and, and we'll get to that. But but the reality is we were getting in kind of early on. You know, they had obviously come out with um, their debut album, which we'll get to, and, and, and um, Carved in Stone, which was their second release. We, we got in after their third release. But it was still very early on in the band's tenure. 
And then, you know, they really kind of, things got very interesting from there in terms of like follow-up releases and, and, and certain lineup changes in the band, which are, are rather tragic, which we'll get to. But we, we were, to say we were fans of the band early on, I, I don't think is an understatement just given, um, given their, their, their tenure and their fact that, you know, they, they, they only have six albums, but they're spread out over, you know, almost 20 years. Right. Absolutely. Um, um well, oh, yeah, so, go ahead. yeah, I was going to say, and so with that, like, like you said, they, they, what is interesting about their first release was that they were signed to a record label called Magna Carta records in 1991. Magna Carta records for me was probably my favorite label at the time I started getting into this stuff in around 1998, um, just to name some of the bands that have been on this label, uh, you have bands like Dolly's Dilemma, who was kind of a one-hit wonder album from the late 90s. Uh, you have uh, bands like uh, Liquid Tension Experiment, who obviously a lot of people know. Bands like Magellan and other prog rock stalwarts. Uh, bands like Enchant, Ice Age, The Moore Voice. Uh, th- they just had such a diverse roster and of course how could i forget royal hunt uh you know one of our favorites they just had so many bands that were on this label i probably owned about 75 percent of their releases just because i was i knew that if it was on magna carta i was going to like it and and believe it or not shadow gallery was actually the second band signed to that label um which was only formed in 1989 and they 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 had basically signed with them two years later uh, in 1991. So I, I just, for, for backdrop, even if you didn't know the band at the time, you knew that the, the, the label was putting out quality releases and you were just inclined to check these guys out just by fact that they were on this label. And you know, the thing that is just like crazy to me about Magna Carta records is that they were located out of Rochester, New York, which is where I, uh, live and uh, I don't live directly in the city I used to and I remember when we would get the albums I would look through the liner notes and the office address was in Great Neck New York which was somewhere you lived you at one live. point yeah so. it's, it's, it's the, the ties are the ties are um you're gonna get a lot of that it's, it's just fascinating I, I actually had no idea that they were in Rochester um and they're still there from what I understand which is which is pra- rather uh, rather interesting but somehow Shadow Gallery gets hooked up with them. They're the second band signed. And lo and behold, they released their their debut album in 1992. Um, the lineup on that album is a little bit different than the lineup that we would come to know and love um, you know, throughout the years. And I think that's important because to me, even though there's seven tracks on this album, it has a different feel from the rest of the albums um, that they would release. Uh, just so everyone hears... The singer on the album was Mike Baker, who we'll speak a lot about during this episode. He actually sang on the first five Shadow Gallery releases. Uh, Carl Cadden James, uh, who basically is the master of everything. He's their bass player, and he also has some killer flute solos on on, on their first couple of albums, which is uh, something that we'll get into. Brent Altman, who was doing um, all the guitars on the album, and Chris Ingalls, who was doing the keyboards and the piano parts. What's also interesting is, is as great as Mike Baker is, Carl Cadden James and Brent Altman did background vocals on both this album and all follow-up albums, which I think is one of the best parts of Shadow Gallery's music. Namely, the backup vocals are so strong and so pronounced that it really sets them apart from a lot of the other bands that are playing, you know, prog rock or prog metal. And to be clear, you know, this 
for me, I, I've always thought of them more as a prog rock band than I did a prog metal band, just because of some of the interludes that they do on on these albums, and, and certainly some of the passages on on some of the uh, more epic tracks for sure. Uh, hard to disagree. Uh, hard to disagree. Yeah, that's what I'll go with on that one. Um, yeah, uh, and. You know, you didn't mention their drummer at the time, Ben Timely. Uh, <laughs> How could I forget the, the yeah, missing piece of this uh, this album? Which, which uh, yeah. I don't think I knew until uh, years later that it was a it was a name that they gave their drum machine because they did not actually have a drummer for this album. Um, so, in the liner notes, the drummer's name is Ben Timely. But, I'll say uh, this: not my favorite drummer, but the guy didn't miss a note on the entire disc. So, cre- <laughs> yeah. credit to him. I mean, he was he 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 always knew when to hit his snare. He was so. a little mechanical, maybe a little bit robotic. We might you might argue, but um, uh, what? How do you feel about this album on a whole? Uh, what are your thoughts about it? Uh, you you went back and listened to it probably for the first time in a while. Yeah, recently. yeah. So, uh, like I said, I Tyranny was the first album that I had purchased by them, and then I went back and because I was so blown away by Tyranny, I went back and I bought Carved in Stone. I bought the debut, and I've since bought every album that came out basically the day it came out because I'm such a fanatic of this band. This was an album that I have always kind of struggled with, and. Uh, what's interesting is that I've, I've, it's something that I would listen to. It would never click. I'd go back and revisit it a year later. I'd play it a bunch of times. I'd go back. I wouldn't play it for a year. I'd go back to it. And, and what was difficult for me, I guess, was a couple of things. Number one, not the best sounding album. Sonically, I, I don't think anybody would agree that, um, or I should say, I don't think anyone would disagree. It, it doesn't, sound quite as good as some of their other material or all of their other material. And what what I would really say is that some of these songs have such awesome passages in them. And then there's other parts which just kind of lose me. Uh, Queen of the City of Ice, for example. There are parts of that 17-minute epic at the end of this disc, which are just some of the best stuff that the band does. And then there's parts of it which just kind of lose me. Uh, the Dance of Fools, great song. Dark Town, a, a track that I really paid no attention to back in the day, blew me away going back to this album. I absolutely love that track. And Say Goodbye to Morning, I, I would also put up there as one of the best songs uh, on the album. But I don't know, songs like Questions at Hand in the Final Hour, just not my cup of tea. And, and I guess the, the meandering parts of The Queen of the City of Ice was just never my thing. What I, what I can say about the album, though, is that every song on here sets the stage for what the band would ultimately become on their next disc and on all subsequent discs. Um, I know you're going to take umbrage with this, but to me, it's an absolutely uh, listenable and good debut album. And I liked it more than I thought I would this time around, but I still can't put it up there with their other material. Go ahead and disagree. Um, yeah. So th- what's interesting about this album is that um, I had, uh, I had gotten carbon stone was my first shadow gallery album. I'll talk a bit more about that in a little while. And then I got tyranny when it came out and um I never was, I, this album was never in the store. Like you would go to the wall or you'd go to Sam Goody and you could find carved in stone and tyranny, but they never had this album. I don't know why. Um, I don't know if it was released like independently through Magna Carta, but I didn't buy it until, uh, 
I saw it at Slip Disc, which was um, kind of like a, a small mom and pop CD store in, in Valley Stream, Long Island. That would uh, they sold all imported metal albums and domestic. And I remember it was fifteen dollars. It would have the handwritten price on the tag, and I remember buying it along with I, I don't remember two other albums. I think that day, but I remember thinking to myself, like, "Wow, I, like I've never seen this album in a store." I'm going to buy it now. And it probably took me years before I paid it any mind, to be honest with you. And it's been the sort of thing where as time has gone on, um, this album uh, came out almost 30 years ago. Um, It's just grown. I've grown to love it more and more over the years. Uh, I felt the same way you did at first. It was kind of like only a couple of songs really like popped for you. Yeah, exactly. And the 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 production values was kind of a turnoff for me, but the more I became a fan and would go back and re-listen to it, and, and I listened to it a bunch of times over the course of the last few weeks, and I love every single song on this album. Um, Dance of Fools, awesome way to start the album. Um, you really get, you really start to see like, okay, this is going to be a very keyboard driven band here. Um, Dark Town, one of the fastest nine minutes <laughs> I've ever spent. Yeah, I, I agree song. with that. And I'm, I'm just going to cut you <laughs> off there for one second. I, I, going into this, I knew that I liked the disc. I don't say that I will not say that I love the disc when I, when I heard it, I enjoyed it for what it was. As I said, there were parts that kind of lost me, but it was a good listen even back when I first heard it. And I think I actually got the album at Slip Disc as well, just because, first of all, you want to talk about missing something. Uh, we, we could go, we could, we could do an entire episode on, on, on some of our experiences finding obscure music at that store and at others. Um, <laughs> it, it, like Master of the Rings by Halloween at, at, at another store, but that's a, a story for another day. But, you know, it's, it's funny. We, 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 I miss going through and kind of just flipping through the stacks and finding like the needle in the haystack, which I would consider this album because it was just hard to find at the time in a, you know, in a brick and mortar record store or, or, or compact disc store. But when I heard Dark Town this town or this time around, I was shocked at how awesome that particular song was. And it's not disparaging the rest of the album. It's just that that was the one that really resonated with me this time around, knowing what the album was, of course. But I, I don't think I ever fully appreciated that particular track. Yeah, and and going back to that time, I mean, you're talking about, you know, this is like pre high speed internet, pre Napster, even like, 
you know, if an album didn't have a domestic label, um, you couldn't walk into a store and buy it. Like it just, there were albums, like there were Angra albums, there were Stradivarius albums. There was, we couldn't get the wake of Magellan by Sabotage when it came out initially. I remember because we had to wait. Same with better than raw by Halloween, which came out around the same time. You had to wait for the U S street date. If you didn't want to go through, you know, Altamira or, um, one of those like, you know, online catalogs, um, or go to slip disc and, you know, it was like $30 if you wanted a Japanese import or like 25, if you wanted a Europe import. And we were just high school kids. And, you know, it was like, if you had 20 bucks in your pocket, you had to figure out, you know, how's you how are you going to make this $20 go the longest way? I, yeah, I, I was making like seven or $8 an hour at the time working in a sporting goods store. And here I am buying $30 Japanese imports of, of albums that I couldn't get my hands on otherwise. And I had no business doing it, but I was, you know, a dumb 15 year old kid. And this is what I did. You know, it was 16 year old kid. This by comparison at 15 bucks was a bargain. And, and obviously, as I said, once I heard tyranny, I had that everything this band did, I had to have, um, and, and there was kind of an, a, a, a mystery there, no pun intended, because, you know, this album comes out, unlike some of their, you know, you know, other, other contemporaries, Dream Theater, Symphony X, they weren't playing live. So if you didn't have the disc and you certainly didn't have YouTube, like you said, you weren't hearing this album. So it was, it was like a real treasure. It was like a real diamond in the rough when we actually got our hands on it. Yeah, I remember like always seeing it in Ralph's book of albums and being like, "Oh, what's this? I don't, I don't know this one. I didn't even know Shadow Gallery. Oh, well, actually, no, because the Magna Carta albums would have that little like two page Magna Carta like you know order thing inside the liner notes, and and it, I'd see this album and I'd be like, "Well, why can't I see it? Why don't I ever see it in the store? I would have bought it sooner, I'm sure, yeah, but uh, yeah. I probably wouldn't have gotten me to listen to it any quicker, but um." Uh, you're going back to the track list, like, oh my god, mystified is, oh my god, what a just incredible. These are long songs too. We're talking about seven minutes, nine minutes, seven minutes, like, and and they fly by because yeah, they're so well. Listen. Yeah, it's such they're so well well constructed. Uh, Questions at hand is a little bit more of a, a crunchier, faster tune. The final hour is uh, more mid tempo that sets the table for what I think is one of the best Shadow Gallery songs ever. Say goodbye to the morning. Ask Amy to sing you. She'll sing you every lyric of that of that song, start to finish. And that's awesome. And the Queen of the City of Ice is kind of like Shadow Gallery's 
setting the table for, you know, for a lot of our albums going forward, we're going to have a, a really epic last track of three of their six albums. Uh, the last track is, this is the shortest of the three, actually, at 17 minutes. Um, but I mean, there's a story, there's narration going on. Like, this is, this is a, an epic tune that, um, and same with you, like it didn't do a lot for me, I think, when I first heard it. But the more I listened to it over the years and kind of appreciated the different uh, parts of it deconstructed, um, because a lot of these long Shadow Gallery songs really are broken down into parts, um, very, you know, a lot like Ghost Ship, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I mean, I feel like we're going to make an episode out of each of the six albums. So I'm just going to cut it short and just say um this album is is for me i on my scale of one to ten i would probably give it a 8.75 i i feel like nine might be a little high just because of the production values and not having a real drummer but i also feel like 8.5 is kind of doing a disservice so i'm gonna go with a 8.75 for me nice I, i to me it's a seven and as i said it sets the table for everything else that's to come i will say i was always hoping that they re-recorded this disc with their kind of classic lineup um, that would come to fruition, you know, in a matter of years. But for whatever reason, they never really went back and did it. And maybe it's because the demand wasn't there or maybe it's because, you know, they weren't trying to market it to a live audience at the time. But I always said to myself, what would this sound like with the production of a Carved in Stone or a, or a Legacy? Uh, what would it sound like if they just kind of polished it up would the songs pop for me just a little bit more or would the cohesion that I think that some of the songs lacked, uh, would, would it really just come together for me if they, if they either remixed it or re-recorded it with, um, just a little more, uh, a little more pop. Unfortunately, we won't know the answer to that, but, uh, it's a seven and it's certainly a, a, an enjoyable enough listen. Uh, although I don't think it holds a candle for, for what we're about to get into, which is their 1995 release carved in stone. Right. So, um, you know, in between the debut album and Carved in Stone, um, you know, they had been signed on to Magna Carta Records in 1991. And um, so uh, they needed to get a, uh, a, a, as Wikipedia would put it, they needed to secure a stable lineup. So in in April 93, they recruited uh, Gary Werkamp, who um, ended up being a lifetime member of shadow gallery. Uh, he's still a member of the band to this very day. Uh, he came from a band called the box tops. And then in April 94, they recruited a, an actual drummer, uh, by the name of Kevin Sofera. And so now we, uh, shadow gallery's got a full lineup of, of, of musicians that, you know, none of which are drum machines, uh, and they're ready to go to uh, record their their second studio album, and that would be uh, carved in stone. So, um, why don't you tell me a bit about your uh, your history of uh, hearing it for the first time? Why did you buy it, um, and, and what do you think about it all, all these years later? Yeah. So when when as I said, I had heard um, Tyranny first, and I immediately went out and got Carved in Stone. A because it was accessible. B because it was the uh, disc that immediately preceded it. And uh, and you know it, it came out July eleventh of nineteen ninety five. So it wasn't like it was that old um, in terms of just the 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 uh, you know the the discography that I was going way back into the archives or anything like that. 
you know, we, we in, in other episodes, we've talked about, you know, some of these mixtapes that were floating around in our uh, little circle. And one of the songs that was on the mixtape was a song from this album, Alaska. And I played that song over and over and over and over again. And that's not to knock the rest of the album because I love it. And I'll, and I'll get into uh, uh, some depth there in a second. But when I first heard Alaska, I thought it was like everything that was, <laughs> everything that was right with the world was, was on that track. I thought it was like the perfect ballad. And then I got the whole album and I realized that that was just one piece of a perfect pie or a near perfect pie. Um, what I would say about this album, it is probably their most ambitious effort in many ways. A, because of the time that it came out. Other bands really weren't doing this at the time. I mean, you think about 1995, Dream Theater, who's probably their closest comparison is, has just come out with a wake, which is a fantastic disc, obviously. But you know, it's a little more commercial sounding, m- much heavier than than carved in stone, and, and you just really weren't hearing these. Uh, I, I never heard of an album that basically had over twenty tracks, and half of them were keyboard or piano interludes, whereby it was just a keyboard solo in between most of the tracks. It was, and, and that's why I call it ambitious. It was unlike anything I had ever heard. And this was at the time where I was like, Dream Theater was everything I knew and loved about the world until I heard Shadow Gallery. And I was just blown away. I mean, from the second cliffhanger starts, you want to talk about an aptly named song. You're talking about us. You don't know where it's going to go or what's going to happen from the first note of the song, but you know that you're in for like a, you're in for a hell of a ride. Right. And it's a 71 minute, like meaty prog metal, prog rock, ride like it, it's and 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 i love that you kind of brought up like you know dream theater around that time because this album is is so it has so much going on i mean shadow gallery is such a master of of a ballad type song like don't ever cry just remember or alaska or even like the beginning of war cry and then and then they can just turn it into this this uh, prog metal, you know, guitar driven, keyboard driven song. It, it, it's, they're just like, they're just such like masterful musicians. And this album, I think they really got to show off their chops, uh, you know, having Gary Wehrkamp, um get into the, the mix here. Um, 
the songs, every song, I mean, the interludes are interludes, but I mean, every song is fantastic. Uh, Alaska was on the very first mixtape that we bring up all the time. The one that, that Ralph made for me, um, in 1997. And I mean, for a while, it was literally the only shadow gallery song I was aware of until I remember I bought this album at the wall at, at the Lake success, uh, shopping center. And um, that was my first Shadow Gallery album. And I think I only ever really listened to Alaska, even after huh. buying the, the CD. It was huh. it was like probably when I was in college in like 2000, 2001, I would go back and listen to this. And, and then it just it would hit me like Cliffhanger, Crystalline Dream, Don't Ever Cry, Just Remember, War Cry, Deeper Than Life. I mean, every song is just incredible. Um, and then... Uh, after all those tracks are over, you have this beautiful, um, almost uh, uh, atmospheric song, this ballad, Alaska, that sets you up for this 29-minute epic uh, ghost ship, um, which is in like seven different parts. And, and there's like a bonus, there's kind of like a hidden track called TG-94, which is a beautiful piano solo. I mean, it's just like... I, I don't even know what else to say. Like this album is just fabulous. So I want to say a couple of things only because I, I played this album and tyranny and even legacy and some of the later discs so much that I probably didn't need to freshen up my recollection of this stuff because it was ingrained in my head. And it, what's interesting is, you know, there's other albums that we've talked about where, uh, you know, I have to really kind of go back and I do a deep dive into some of these albums because it's been a, been that long this stuff is permanently ingrained in my head and and i can't say that about every shadow gallery album and, and we'll get to those in a minute but th- uh, basically this was when my fandom blew up in terms of their music and i just knew i, I just know this album so so well that um you know, it, it wasn't much of a surprise for me when I was listening to it and loving every second of it. I just want to make a couple of uh, a couple of anecdotal points about the album. Number one, Crystalline Dream. Uh, it, it's funny, and we'll, we'll get to some of the significance of that particular song when we fast forward to uh, 2010 when I saw them live. Dun dun dun! A, a little, a little, uh, a little, uh, a little something to look forward to. Spoiler. That- yeah, exactly. Spoiler alert. That particular song holds up so, so well. Uh, not that the rest of the album doesn't, but I think I love that song now more than I ever did, even when I first heard it, you know, 20 plus years ago. And another song that I never really paid much mind to because it got kind of buried in the middle of this disc was Deeper Than Life.
that song, and maybe the reason that it sticks out, it's one of the heavier tracks on this particular album. It actually reminds me of something that would have been on Tyranny a couple of years later, just because it's so heavy in certain sections. Um, I like that song a lot, and I think it's one of their most underrated tracks because it's something that nobody ever talks about. I uh, I completely agree. It, it's I like I didn't even really think of that, and then now that you mention it, yeah, it really does sound because you're going to see with Tyranny that um, they definitely are, are going for um, more a, a definitely a heavier prog metal album. Um, this one definitely has a lot of. I feel like this album is kind of like it goes in waves because it's just like mellow rock and mellow rock and mellow rock. And it's, it's really, it's kind of crazy that the last song was ghost ship. Cause it feels like you're riding a ship basically listening to this. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's just such a, it's such a journey. Um, and, and that goes back to what I was saying about this being what I believe to be their most ambitious effort, just because of the way it's constructed where in between most of these tracks is some sort of an interlude, which really spaces out the album, but it's, but it flows seamlessly so that if you didn't realize it was another track, it would almost seem like one, one long track on the, on the disc, which is kind of what they did with ghost ship, right? They broke it up into uh, you know, seven or eight parts um, of all the songs on the album. If I had to knock the album, which is hard to do, but if I had to, there are parts of ghost ship that, lose me a little bit just because it's kind of, I don't want to say all over the place, but it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's a, it's obviously a long track that's broken down at the parts and it's so different. Some, some of the parts are so different than the other parts that it loses me a little bit, kind of like queen of the city of ice, which I had mentioned, but it's still a great song. Don't get me wrong, but that's the only reason that for me, this is not a 10. It's merely a 9.5, but it's still holds up so exceptionally well. And, and, you know, having listened to prog metal for now decades and, and prog rock for that matter, these guys, you could tell on carved in stone that there was just something different about these guys, because not only were that, not only are the lyrics phenomenal on all their discs. And I, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. And, and I'm not going to go into a deep dive into all the lyrics on, on all these albums, just because we will literally be here all day. But the, but between the lyrics and the melodies, Plus, each of the members' chops, uh, it is, you're talking about something really, really special. And if you are a prog rock or a prog metal fan and you haven't heard these guys, I guarantee you, go listen to Carved in Stone and you're going to fall in love. But if you're a power metal fan and you just aren't familiar with, you know, prog music, that's okay because it's so accessible to even the average person. Um, you know, I've had, I've been playing this stuff for years and I remember being in college and my, and my friends in college, they did not want to listen to to the music that I was listening to, but they heard some of this stuff, and even they were like, "Oh, this is pretty catchy. I kind of like this," which for them is like the utmost compliment. Right? Um, yeah, I, I, you know, probably at this time because there weren't nearly as many prog metal bands as there are now. Like Shadow Gallery was probably just tagged like a you know a Dream Theater clone, but I mean, you go and listen to this album, and I don't think that there's elements that maybe you might pick up something here and there a, a guitar fill or whatever that might remind you of dream dream theater but this band has its own identity and i feel like no pun intended they carved it right at the beginning of their existence that like we're shadow gallery we're a totally different experience we're not trying to be 
Dream Theater. I'm sure that they respected the hell out of Dream Theater and wanted to follow in their footsteps, but they weren't trying to be another Dream Theater. No, no. It, it, I mean, listen, there even today, there are bands that we would, I think, call, and respectfully so, Dream Theater clones. And even that... I think is a compliment in the sense that obviously dream theaters are dream theater are the masters, if you will, of their craft in certain ways. So if you have, if you're considered a clone, you're probably very technically proficient in your own right. Otherwise you wouldn't be compared to what many people hold to be like the, 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 the grand standard, um, for, for never mind Prague, but just for musician, you know, musicians in general. These guys did it a little bit differently. And listen, I mean, we're going to get to James LeBray in a second. So I, I'll just say that obviously that they were an influence. I don't, I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody, but I, the, the way they were able to do it and, 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 you know, kudos to Magna Carta for putting something like this out because most labels are not putting out an album like carved in stone in 1995 or 2020 for that matter. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I just want to point out, and, and this will be the last thing I say about Carved in Stone. Um, you know, you kind of had similar uh, feelings of Ghost Ship as you did with Queen of the City of Ice. And I think that what they're doing here is they're saying, like, um, we're going to tell the story the way we want to tell the story, and there's going to be different parts of it. And it's not, the whole thing's not going to be like, you know, it won't have one sound. I mean, Ghost Ship is is almost like seven different songs kind of rolled into one. So I think that if you look at it more as as a whole instead of like, you know, this part, this part, this part, um, I don't know. I think that's why I might like appreciate their longer songs more than you do just because, I don't know, I see it more as like a whole and that they're trying to tell a, a story throughout and um I don't know. Maybe that that might be like a little bit. Um, I, I forgot the word you used earlier. Um, meandering for you, but sure. I, I think I think it's more of like them trying to to tell a story. And even if you just look at the title of the each part of Ghost Ship, like it describes the music describes the title and vice versa. So, oh, perfectly. and let me let me be clear. I, I don't listen to. I, I I have never in my life listened to Ghost Ship. Or I should say, part of the song. I listen to it as as an entire song, right? But because, quite frankly, I think that if I listen to just you know approaching storm, I think it loses something in the grand context of the rest of this, you know, the rest of the stuff on the disc. So when when I sit down to listen to Ghost Ship, I, I strap in and I get ready to listen to the whole thing. But I'll say this: it's I, I, even though I view it as a whole, I just think that it's it's you know I, I think you said it best. It, it is really telling a story, and and and. I, it's interesting that you would feel that way because, you know, in, as we've discussed many, many times, I'm the prog guy, you're more of the power metal guy. So for you to have a, a, that much of an appreciation for, for a song like A Ghost Ship really says something in my opinion, because it's not quite in your wheelhouse in terms of what you would otherwise listen to. And I think that that speaks to the band because, you know, I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that for a, for a power metal guy, they are, if not the number one, they are up there in the top three prog acts that you like. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that the reason for that is because while they are absolute like masters of their, their instruments, much like dream theater is, it never feels like it's, it's like a pretentious, an, ex, an exhibition of, yes. of their, of their musicianship. They're, 
the the actual songwriting is is what takes uh precedence over everything else and the i think the musicianship is just layered into it but the the fact that the music is so well done as a whole um rather than like oh my god look at how good carl plays the flute like it's or like oh my god listen to this guitar solo um it's not nearly as as masturbatory i guess as i think that dream theater can be at times and and a lot of other a lot of other prog bands and the prog bands that i you know kind of lean gravitate towards towards. yeah gravitate towards are bands like shadow gallery and royal hunt and vanishing point if you're gonna consider them prog or like a circus maximus yeah Yeah, circus maximus seventh wonder um it's it's the ones that have that are more about the melody and less about the just showing that they are good musicians. Cause frankly, if you are in a metal band, I'm going to assume that you're a pretty good musician to begin with. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And they really do focus on the songwriting. Whereas listen, there's a reason why images and words and scenes from a memory are, you know, the masterpieces that they are and why some of the more recent dream theater stuff is not maybe is necessarily as good. And I think that's partially because not to say that they got bored of writing songs, but some of the stuff is really just, you know, showing that each one of those guys is so proficient in their craft that it loses a little bit of something when they just go off meandering and then they come back, but they, the, the songwriting isn't as sharp as it may have been 10 or 15 years ago, even, but that's uh that's, a, that's a discussion for another day with dream theater. Um, let's let, let, let me ask you this. What do you rate? What do you rate carved in stone? I'm right with you, nine point five. And <laughs> what's great about it is that, like, oh my God, Shadow Gallery—they're on their second album and they're already coming out with a nine point five. How are they gonna? How are they gonna top that? Well, they—they <laughs> they found a way. Um, it, 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 like I said, it leads us to their 1998 release, Tyranny, which um, again was the first full-length release that I had heard from them, and. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this album, man. I, I'm not going to lie. I do. I, 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 I'm going to let you speak and then I'll, I'll chime in. How did you first hear Tyranny and what were your initial thoughts? Uh, well, I will. I just want to mention uh, there's, we have a we have a personnel change. Um, Joe Navolo would join the band uh, in time for the, the release of Tyranny. And he also uh, would become a Shadow Gallery lifer. He is still listed as uh, shadow gallery's drummer to this day yeah and this I, at this point now now they have solidified their classic lineup if you will this was the lineup that would be together essentially for the next three albums for all right. basically right so we still have carl brett chris gary mike baker on vocals and now joe the the drummer so um so at this point in time i have carved in stone i've only listened to alaska probably and <laughs> and uh and 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 our mutual friend pat i will never forget emails me and he just tells me get tyranny just get it so i will never forget um it was so the album came out in september of 1998 so this is either late november or early december 1998 uh my aunt took me to Roosevelt field mall and we were at the Sam Goody that was in the basement of the mall where Charlie worked, where Charlie worked. And we'll probably get to talk about Charlie one of these days, but, um, she would take me 
uh, to pick out my Christmas gifts and then she would wrap them and give them to me on Christmas. And so all when I was that age, all I wanted was CDs. That's it. Like, so to me, like getting to go on this, you know, shopping spree for albums, mind you, it's a, it's a domestic CD store in 1998. So, you know, if I already have every Sabotage, Ingve and Manowar album, my options are going to be somewhat limited. <laughs> yeah, it's um, They did have Shadow Gallery's Tyranny. And so, you know, I, I put it in the pile and my aunt wrapped it up and gave it to me for Christmas. So and- wait, t- I just, so she buys you the album, but you don't get to open it until Christmas? Right. <laughs> How did you have the willpower to wait or, or, or to get, not get your hands on it first? Now, I understand she needed to wrap it, but like if I knew that – if I well, I guess in hindsight, if I knew this album was sitting under my tree, I would have ripped that thing open. So but I didn't – but that's the thing. I didn't know – what it is that was sitting under the tree that there was this masterpiece of, of, of musicianship just sitting there in, in wrapping paper. And, uh, but I mean, that was the, that was the, the, uh, the trade off is that I got to pick my gifts, but I'd have to wait, you know, to get them. So, um, she also bought me, I think it was that same Christmas. Uh, she found, it was so hard to find at the time, a copy of, uh, the legend of Zelda Ocarina of time had just come out. And she got the last one at one of the toy stores or whatever. And she was so excited to give it to me. She actually gave it to me a couple weeks before Christmas. Um, maybe we'll, one day we'll have a video game podcast and we'll talk about that. But um, so, <laughs> I'll just sit back and let you talk. Because but yeah, but, but like this is like a time where like so many things that are so classic that for me like influenced my life. Are like coming out. It's 1998. Like, you know, we're watching Monday Night Raw and and WCW Nitro wrestling's like the best it's been in years. Music is just like is exciting us in ways that we didn't feel since you know we heard Green Day on MTV. Um, so there's just so much going on, and we're playing Final Fantasy seven VII and eight for the PlayStation and Zelda and all this stuff. So. I think of all these things together and it all comes to a head when we are at our friend Brian's house on New Year's Eve. Um, or I'm, was it New Year? No, New Year's Day. We were at my house on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. We went to Brian's house and we're in the basement and we're just screwing around and I got the video camera going and this album is playing in the background and it might have been the first time any of us had heard it. And it's just, it's, it's so funny. I go back and I watch that tape and I, and I hear this album just playing in the background and I'm like, Oh man, like if only we knew, I I just, I hear like um, out of nowhere playing in the background and I'm just like, Oh my God, that's so funny. Looking for what is real, 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 real. Welcome the brain, no light inside my soul. The more I learn, the deeper and I'm drawn. The deeper and I'm 
so yeah, that's, that's the story. But I mean, it probably didn't take more than a couple of weeks after that, that I was like obsessed with listening to this album start to finish repeatedly. Yeah. It, what's interesting is, you know, even now a lot of bands will kind of come out with an album and that first track is kind of like the, uh, the orchestral intro, intro track, or, you know, maybe it's a little bit of keyboards that lead you into an entire album. This album starts with a vengeance and you realize immediately, at least in the grand scheme of things, that this album, just in terms of the way that they put this together is different than some of their other material because it's stiletto in the sand right into war for sale is probably the heaviest shadow gallery stuff on any album that they've recorded before or since. I think you'd agree. No doubt. And, and so, you know, having not heard the other stuff, my intro to the band essentially was those two songs. And I was absolutely like blown away. I said to myself, what the hell is this? And how did I find something that was at the time as good as images and words? And that's really what I was thinking. And what really just stuck out to me was you want to talk about hooks. This album to me had more hooks than anything I had heard to that point and maybe to date, at least for a prog, for a prog record. I, at one point or another, and I say this legitimately, every song on this album has been my favorite at one point or another. And if I've played it less than a thousand times, I, I, obviously I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I have played this album so much that even when we were going back and kind of listening to all this stuff again, I listened to it once. I listened to every other album multiple times just to kind of really immerse myself in the music. I didn't need to do that with this particular album because I know every single note. And although I have no musical ability whatsoever, I could probably play the album if I had any talent. I listened to it once also. It was all, I mean, I don't even think I needed to. But, I didn't. Um, I mean, I could sing the album for you. I'm definitely I, not going to do that. But, but, I, 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 but, I, but I wanted to because why wouldn't I want to listen to Tyranny? Yeah, I know, I, mean, I know, I know. It's it's this, to, to put things in perspective, it starts off with two of the, you know, the, this heavy intro track with into, again, War for Sale being maybe their heaviest track of all. To this beautiful, like mid-paced, out of nowhere song, which really kind of sets the story for this political concept album. Which um, you know, at the time, I didn't know. You know, other than taking AP government a year later, I really <laughs> had no idea what was going on in the world, and, and I just knew that I liked the songs and I thought the stories were cool. And then you get into mystery, which is just this catchy track, which 
as Nick pointed out in, in his in his recommendation, a dated tune, but it doesn't I, I, I it brings me back to when I was using dial-up internet 20, 23 years ago and it was very slow. And I just remember that that sound of the modem um <laughs> connecting. And for me it took a longer than most because I had a very slow connection. But it's it just it it brings me I mean it literally this this album transport me back to when I was fifteen years old and I or sixteen when I first heard it. Yeah, that song, it's just, it, it always makes me think of what it was like, um, like meeting somebody on the internet when the internet was in its infancy. Like there was no, you know, match.com or anything like that. I mean, and I'm not even just talking about romantically, like you would just talk to people that, you know, you'd end up becoming friends with that, um, maybe you attend concerts with one day or just that way of, of being able to connect to uh to anybody anywhere all of a sudden after not having that i mean it was such a game changer and you know when this album came out the the internet was about i don't know two or three years into it really becoming you know a a mainstream sort of thing that almost everybody had in their home so that song always kind of takes me back to to that era but um you know Hope for us. Oh, what a beautiful song! Another, another, just an incredible ballad. Um, the lyric, and again, like you know, oh, the, we won't yeah. go too much into lyrics, but the lyrics in this story. I mean, to come up with the story, which is crazy too, because we're going to talk about Room Five later, which is the sequel to this to this album, and this whole thing about like the government hiding viruses and stuff. It, it's it's. It's kind of funny when you it, think about what's it, going on it, in, it in the world. In certain right now. ways, and really timely in others, just in terms of some of the conspiracy theories that are out there and everything else. Um, it, it's 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 very very interesting. And then you get to another song like "Victims," which is another beautiful like kind of ballady song. And then "Broken," which leads you into Act Two. And Act Two, again, having not heard this album before. All of a sudden, I, I hear I hear this voice on "I Believe." I'm like, "Oh my God!" It's it's James Lebris singing on this album. So, if there was any doubt that they were at least somewhat influenced by by Dream Theater, I think it was removed when they asked him to to to, to lend his vocals to to the one or two lines on that song. I love how um, the main character that Mike Baker plays is singing about like then my father said, and like seamlessly, yes. his father's lyrics are just like all of a sudden it's James Libri singing. If you weren't paying that close attention, you might not even notice that there were two different vocalists there. It's so cool how, how they did that little interlude there. Um, and this is like, this is this and new world order are like the two epic songs on this album. They're both, um, eight minutes and, and change. And, um, I, I, they're my, probably my two favorite songs on the album. Um, maybe, I mean, depending on what day you yeah, ask. I'm not even going to, like I said, at, at one point or another, every song was my favorite. So I'm not going to even attempt to tell you what my favorite song on the album is because the answer will change 10 minutes later. But I do think it's interesting that you bring up DC Cooper, who is on New World Order. You know, this was DC Cooper's first appearance singing, uh, you know, on one of their albums it wasn't their life it wasn't his last but it was it was his first and uh we'll get into some of the the interesting experiences that we've shared with dc cooper singing some of this music a little bit later on but um you know again at the time we were we were such big royal hunt fans that to hear dc cooper on another album was also just a real treat for us because we i mean like i said paradox is is 
you know, Paradox and Moving Target are just two classic, two classic genre defining albums in their own right. Also on Magna Carta Records for that. Exactly. And that's why, uh, not, not, not a terrible surprise. And I should be clear. A lot of James Labrie's solo material was on Magna Carta. So there was obviously a connection there as well. But w- when you have a concept album like this to bring in, you know, two other world class singers to, to join you on some of these tracks, it really just kind of, it takes a, it takes a perfect album and just gives it even that much more polish. Yep. Well said. And, uh, so we continue on and uh, on this, this story and we go to roads of thunder, which um, it's a, it's kind of this three part. And, and this is, this is just kind of like a more of um, storytelling through instrumentation. And it's just taking you onto this journey and, and you feel, you feel like you're right there with this character. Just the way that the music, it's just, it's so good at, at, at portraying what is happening and, and then, and then spoken words <laughs> like this, <laughs> this duet with Laura Jager, who I have never heard her do anything other than the, the, the tracks that she did with shadow gallery. Um, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because to me, she's always going to be that, that female character that you know that's opposite to mike baker's character um listen i'll be honest to this day to your point i don't know who she is if anyone out there has information as to who this who this is i'm kind of curious to see what else she's saying on just because the name doesn't resonate with me and i've i've run internet searches just trying to see if she's associated with any other projects but i can't find anything so i'd be very curious because she's like supremely underrated and does such an excellent job on that track. I'm just curious. So if you're out there and you, and you have any information, we'd love to hear you, you know, hear from you. Yeah. I, I mean, I would have to think that she maybe happened to be like somebody local. That was a friend of the band. I have no idea, but her vocals are so, so strong. She has a really, um, like when she really like, uh, like emotes, you can hear a little bit of this yeah. raspiness in her voice, but um, and she's back on Room Five, by the way. But it's still, it's you know, other than her appearances with this band, we don't know anything about her, you know. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, but this is just a wonderful um, duet about um, you know the, the the these these two like the, these two people that like met over the internet that f- that fell in love and they're embroiled in this whole uh, crazy political thing that's going on and, and um and we're not even we're not even done yet because then like you said new world order uh, what a song what an unbelievable starts out dark dark creepy yes dc cooper is fantastic as like this this um this this government agent that's that's trying to hunt mike baker's character down and um the and hit and just the way that he comes in and out on this song, um, again eight minutes that just fly by. Yeah, yeah, and then I am just kind of plowing through it. You know, it ends with Chase and Ghost of a Chance and Christmas Day, which is obviously another beautiful track. Every, it, it, I have to think that every note was so meticulously placed on this disc because. There, it, it's 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 a perfect album, and, and and I'll say this without giving anything away. 
you know, I think that now that we've done 25 albums and I think I gave out one other 10. And if I'm not mistaken, it was for Avantage's Metal Opera being like one of the perfect, maybe the perfect power metal disc. This album is a 10 for me. If I could give it a 12, I would give it a 12. <laughs> it is, it is a, not just a desert island disc, but it is easily, easily in my top 10 albums of all time. Is it number three? Is it number five? I'm not sure. And maybe that varies, but this to me is a top 10 album of all time. And, you know, I, <laughs> I love the other stuff and, and obviously we'll get to some more of it momentarily, but this to me was their magnum opus and one of the best albums ever recorded. I, I, I couldn't say, say anything better myself. It's, it's, a, it's an easy 10 for me as well on the metal exchange scale and on the Dave Meltzer scale, it's a seven out of five. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, and, and with that, we will get into legacy. Well, actually then- one, one last, oh, but one last thing I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to just wrap up tyranny by reading an excerpt from a review that I saw by somebody named um, whose tag name is eradicated on uh, metalarchives.com. And Go this is just the last paragraph. And I thought this was just so well said that it needed to be shared. So there is no flaws in this album. This is the progressive metal, which is simple, but really good and does not bore with using the same riff, even though they are catchy songs, I would suggest progressive fans give it a try because this is truly some album like no other. Everything seems to be in place for perfection. I always knew there were bands so much better than the famous Dream Theater. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's put it this way. It didn't get the love of uh, images and words and and and. I kind of have theories as to why they never really blew up, but this, it, it, listen, Operation Mind Crime, Scenes from Memory, this album is every bit as good as those other ones, arguably better. And it's just, I mean, you want to talk about up there with the great concept albums of all time. I would be hard pressed to find anything much better. I'll, 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 I'll just say that that's how good this album is. And I cannot stress, I cannot stress enough that if you've not heard this album, stop listening to our podcast and go listen to tyranny yep that's yeah yeah you have our permission to pause us <laughs> and come back and we'll talk about yeah, legacy we'll, we'll see you in, th- in 73 minutes and then we'll, <laughs> we'll continue on and so before we get to legacy you know it's funny we obviously i think we gushed enough about tyranny but to me that would have been the perfect album to kind of do their first tour on and and really the album that would have kind of blasted them into the stratosphere. You know, we've talked about Symphony X's five. We've talked about, um, you know, certain dream theater albums or, you know, we, we talked about falling into infinity, but I, you know, by many people's standards, scenes from a memory really put them back on the map after the, uh, the tail off from, from images and words, you know, almost 10 years prior, there were certain albums that really just catapulted bands I always thought that Tyranny was the album that could have just blasted them into the stratosphere. But again, they weren't playing live. And and that was always curious to me. And, and I've heard many, many things. And we'll get into their live act later on after we're kind of finished wrapping up the albums. But to me, this was the, this was the point where they kind of should have just, you know, gone for it, at least if, if that was a possibility. Yeah, I, I really do think that the lack of of live performances is probably what hindered their ability to, to explode because we would come to find out 
that these guys are fabulous live performers and the fact that they're not performing live during this time has nothing to do with their ability to play. Um, it's just a matter of like timing and the fact that they had full-time jobs and things of that nature. Um, but sure enough that they would plug on and they would give us, you know, with, with some level of consistency, an album every three or four years and, and uh, three years would pass by after tyranny was released and we would get the, the fourth album legacy on May 15th, 2001. Uh, what are your thoughts about legacy? Uh, do you remember the first time you heard it, what you thought of at the time, what you think of it now? Uh, yeah. we, we have the same, we have the same lineup as uh tyranny. So um, I think this is the first two albums. Shadow gallery has, uh, has had this exact same lineup. So we're we're getting some consistency there. Um, yeah, tell me about your your thoughts about it, it, yeah. So by this point, it's now May of two thousand and one. I have been hanging on every note that these guys have been playing for, having bought all the all the older albums at this point. So when I found out this album was came coming out, I remember going to buy it the day it was released. I I, I don't recall where I was when I bought it, but I remember saying to myself, "Legacy is out today." I have to go get Legacy. And I, I even think that my friend Mike, our friend Mike, was with us, although I don't quote me on that. But I remember going to buy this album and being so excited that I was going to get to hear more Shadow Gallery after having burnt a hole through my Tyranny disc and Carved in Stone for that matter. And 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 I put the album on and what and lo and behold, the first track is a hearkening back to Carved in Stone with Cliffhanger Part 2 which is, you know, you talk about another way to rock the, you rock your socks off. You're talking about like a 13 minute epic to, to, to start the album. And this was a little bit interesting because unlike Carved in Stone, which had so many different tracks and layers to it, here, the big epic track at the end is broken down into five parts, but they only kept it as one track. So the album only has six tracks, but it still clocks in at 71 minutes. So what struck me about this album is a couple of things. To me, I kind of look at it as two separate albums. I always thought that the first five songs really gelled exceptionally well together and that that 45 minutes or so worth of music is just perfect together. And First Light to me was always so different from the rest of the album that it I almost want to feel say it was like misplaced. And I would just say that I think I would have more appreciation for First Light if it was at the front end of the album. And by that, I mean, after the first 45 minutes as a listener with songs like Colors, which is maybe one of their best songs ever...
and songs like Society of the Mind, which are really catchy, and Destination Unknown, which is another sleeper track. When you have these tracks up front, um, First Light is a lot to digest at the end of the album. But when I listen to First Light first, and then I go back to Cliffhanger and listen to the rest, it actually flows better for me. Now, I'm not saying that everyone, maybe that's not the way that the band intended it. But to me, I would have put First Light up front and then kind of go into the rest of the album, which is a little more accessible. Um, but this is a fantastic album. But the what Shadow Gallery does is that every album is so different from the last but it has the signature Shadow Gallery sound that never wavers. This album was a little bit more, um, more of the band showing their technical prowess. You know, we we talked about like the Dream Theater element uh, uh, that that that, especially with some of their more recent stuff, they kind of, I don't know, they 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 they're showing off a bit, and it, it loses a little bit in terms of the songs. There's a touch of that here as well, just in terms of. This, these incredible keyboard solos or these incredible Gary Weirkamp guitar solos um, that you almost don't hear as much on some of the other albums just because they really seem to show their technical prowess on this disc. Not to say that's a bad thing. It's an excellent album. But to me, I think that it really – here, I think that now that they have this solidified lineup, I think it was time to show that these were all masters of their craft. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that that's very well put. Um, I think one of the, the detriments of this album as a whole is that the, the first light epic is so long that there are only five other tracks. And it's kind of, I guess, just a bummer that you're only getting six new songs. Um, albeit, you know, six really good songs, but, um, to me, I always felt like where Room 5 is not just the spiritual sequel to Tyranny, but like the storyline sequel to Tyranny. To me, Legacy is like, to me, the spiritual sequel to Carved in Stone in a lot of ways, especially opening up with the sequel to Cliffhanger, which is, to me, I have a hard time choosing between Cliffhanger 1 and 2. I think they're both really well done songs, and there there are some really cool... Uh, musical callbacks in the second version to the first version. And and like you said, like the first five tracks, Destination Unknown, Color, Society of the Mind, Legacy, these are all excellent songs. I mean, the it's great. And First Light, it kind of stops the momentum because the beginning of it is so slow and, and the way that it builds. And it 
it really picks up steam later on. And I actually went back and I listened to First Light more more than the rest of this album because it, it was just one of those things that maybe the length of it was always so daunting to me that I never really gave it as much of a listen as as I should have. And I appreciate it a lot more now, especially when you realize that like five of the minutes of it is silence and the finale at the end almost feels like it's not part of the first three chapters of the song. It's just this really, really beautifully done piano solo. Um, So like, if you really just taking into consideration the first three chapters of first light, you're talking about maybe 23 minutes um, and it's a little more palatable, I think similar to the length of ghost ship. Um, Again, another parallel to that carved in stone album in my mind. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. Colors is, is such a beautiful, um, I don't know if I would call it like a, like a, a ballad. I guess it is kind of a ballad. It's just such a well done song. And we haven't talked a lot about Mike Baker's vocals. And I think that we're, we're going to have a lot to say about Mike Baker um, for better or for worse uh, later on. But um, just another example of what just a beautiful voice that he had. And um, just one of the reasons that, this band has such, I have such fond memories of them is just that he is one of my all time uh, favorite vocalists and, and he's every album he's on display. It's almost kind of like you, you kind of get spoiled to how good he is that it's just, you know, part of shadow gallery. And, and I think that's why maybe we haven't been mentioning him that often. It's just, he's just that consistent. Yeah, he, he is. A couple of things. Number one, I actually never thought about the carved in stone uh, comparison or like the, 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 the fact that this was kind of hanging on that other than cliffhanger, of course. But, you know, that's a really good point that I never even considered that um, to me. What, another thing that they could have done is if they could have released First Light as its own EP, I think it would have resonated even better on its own. Not after the first five songs on the disc, which were, again, you're 45 minutes into the album or, or thereabouts. I, I think that as an EP or a standalone track, I think it would have gained more traction with me just because it's, it's, uh, you know, the, they're, they're, as we've said, their, their tracks move and, and, and some of these 10 minute songs feel like two minutes. But, you know, by the end, when you're listening to a 34 minute track, it's, 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 it's a little bit to digest, although the album as a whole is obviously very, very good. I also should note, I think this is their best sounding album. Um, just in terms of like sonically, I just think that they, the mix on this album is pristine. And, yeah, it's and, a very, it's a very clean sounding yes, album. Yes. And, and I think that not that the other albums aren't, you know, that they don't sound good. They sound very good actually. And they hold up well to this day. But to me, this was their best sounding album. And I think that it, you know, I, I don't know if that was intentional or if they drifted away from that because Room 5 actually sounds very much like Tyranny in, in a lot of ways. And I'm sure that that's on purpose. But this, this, the mix on this album, I just thought was incredible. And, and, and that's something that didn't, um, you know, that, that, that I, I, I noticed this time around, especially when you were listening to it compared to some of the other albums. And, and I'll just say this. Again, the backup vocals on some of these tracks really make Mike's uh, really make uh, Mike Baker's vocals pop just because of the contrast between his leads and all the other guys singing backup vocals on these tracks. And, and that to me is one of the, 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 the hallmarks of this band. Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned that early on and it's, 
it's on display from their self-titled album on and forward. Like, and, and the fact that they are, their backing vocalists are good singers makes such a difference. Like to have these, these beautiful harmony, these vocal harmonies. Um, it really is a, a signature of the shadow gallery sound. And it's not something that a lot of bands do and well, not a lot of uh, prog metal bands anyway. And they do it so well. And it really is. It kind of reminds me, you know, we've talked about uh, how Royal hunt on a lot of their albums would have, um, the female backing vocals um, to kind of uh, kind of like a dichotomy with, uh, you know, DC Cooper or John West or whoever was singing for Royal Hunt at the time. And that became such a signature sound for Royal Hunt that when you saw them live and they didn't have it, it was almost like a part of that act was, was missing. And that's the great thing about shadow gallery is that like, you know, when, when they would eventually start playing live shows, like they would, do they they would just sing those backing parts and it would sound just like you would hear it on the album so you weren't missing out on that really key part of what makes shadow gallery sound like shadow gallery yeah i i agree and um if you had to rate this album obviously coming off the heels of 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 again something we basically are calling a perfect album what are you rating legacy uh it, you know it, it's you can't it's i feel like it's a it's a victim to following tyranny like i don't know what they could have possibly done and maybe they were smart to not release room five immediately just because the comparisons would have been you know i don't i don't know they kind of i feel like it was smart of them to kind of release something of a different album but um it's still really strong for me i think that there's parts of first light that are a little bit um just kind of un, like unspectacular, not dynamic, I guess. I, and I know, again, that's like I said before, it's part of the storytelling. Um, but uh, yeah, I would, I would probably give it a, an 8.5. That, that would be where I would, I would put it. Yeah, it's, it's an 8 for me. Uh, really, really strong. Um, and, and, and I think that the first five tracks in particular, uh, each one is better than the next with colors, I think, being maybe the standout of the, of the five. From the moment I heard that song, I was just blown away, and I I think that it's on a on an album with not that many tracks, but four four or five standout tracks. That is that is the best of the bunch for me. Um, but it it is a solid eight, and I'm curious how I would have rated it had it come out before Tyranny, or if I hadn't heard Tyranny, just because they had set the bar so high at that point that. Um, it didn't matter what they released after that, uh, you know, they, they could, you know, it, it was, it was going to be hard to top or even meet that, that, that lofty, um, that lofty height. But again, you talk, you know, eights are hard to come by. And this is just, you know, the third in a law in a string of fantastic albums. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, I liken it to like empire by Queensryche. Um, it's a great album, but it had the unfortunate duty of following Operation Mindcrime. That's a great so, comparison. That's an absolutely know. great comparison. Um, you know, it's it's, uh, it's <laughs> Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence is a great album, but it's not Scenes from a Memory. Awake is a great album. Maybe one of the best prog metal albums of all time, but it's not Images and Words. Yeah. So sometimes, again, it's just you, you to, to have two albums like that back to back are almost impossible. And, um, you know, I mean, think I, about I think Think about like how much derision Halloween got for Pink Bubbles Go Ape, which, you know, ridiculous title aside, 
I mean, there are some really fantastic songs on that album, but the fact that it followed Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2, it was like... It almost it didn't like, matter what it sounded like. Yeah, it was damned out the gate, I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. And quite frankly, had they come out with another power... Not to go off on a real tangent, but had they come out with another straight power metal album, it still wouldn't have been Keeper 2 because you're talking about one of the seminal power metal discs of all time. It's just, you know, it's it's... Sometimes it doesn't even pay to try to do something in the same vein. Sometimes it pays to just take a detour. And, and this, you know, this is a little bit of a detour because let's put it, let's be honest. There were no, there were no 30 minute tracks on tyranny, but this was just a little bit more experimental, uh, experimental and a little more in the uh, carved in stone vein. Yeah. And I would just say kind of a bit more proggy than yeah yeah for sure he was and 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 well appreciated um and and obviously you know a couple years later they would be back at it you know the the the, there was a long gap or at least it felt like a long gap to me between legacy and room five which came out almost four years uh, a little more than four years later um tell us a little bit about room five had you had you did you pick this up when it first came out or did you wait on this a little bit you know i don't even really remember it's I, I think about like this kind of time period. I think Royal Hunt released a sequel to Paradox, and I guess it was just that time where like bands were kind of capitalizing. I think the same year Halloween released the Keeper of the Seven Keys, the Legacy album. Um, so I don't know if I don't know what happened here. I I know I had the album, but I just I just didn't really listen to. It. I probably just listened to it once and for whatever reason, my mindset at the time, I kind of was 2005 was kind of like a period of, for me where I I had just finished college. Um, I wasn't really as into metal as I was in high school, which would change a few years later. Um, So I don't think I'm this album had the excitement that it should have had for me. And in all honesty, I don't think I really appreciated how, much I really like this album until this week, this past week. That's uh, interesting. Uh, I do remember always, I remember Comfort Me was the first song I was really familiar with. And uh, Laura Jaeger would make her return as the, the woman in the, in the, in the uh, story. Um, and this another beautiful duet between her and Mike Baker. Circumstance prevailed, it was hard on us both. And I'm right home, I'm so tired from the chase, so desperately I'm making the waning of the starlight and turn to lunch as I But I remember getting ready to see Shadow Gallery live finally, which we're going to talk about. And um, I remember looking at their set list and thinking to myself, oh, they played the Andromeda strain. Maybe I should listen to that. And boy, that's a hell of a, a tune. Yeah. And uh, so I kind of went into this week 
really only knowing those two songs well from this album. Um, and I don't know why I wouldn't be compelled to go and listen to it again because the two songs are so good. Um, but it really, and again, one of the reasons I love doing this podcast with you is because is stuff like this is getting to getting a, a second chance to, to appreciate something that, that may have passed me by for whatever reason at a certain time. Um, this is definitely one of those experiences for me. Um, I love this album and I think that it is such a perfect sequel to an unfollowable album. Um, it's it's not quite as great i mean nobody shadow gallery wouldn't release another album as good as tyranny but a lot of bands would never release an album ever that good so and and it's funny a a lot of people that didn't grow up on tyranny that actually heard room five first like it, it better than tyranny i'm not one of them but the the fact of the matter is to many people this was their first exposure to the band and they were blown away by this disc. And I understand why, uh, you know, in my notes, I actually wrote a little note to myself. This is not operation mind crime part two. <laughs> this is not keeper of the seven keys part three. This is a, as you said, a worthy follow-up to a perfect album, which in and of itself, the fact that I can even call it worthy in comparison tells you that this is a gem. That's how good tyranny is. This is a gem of an album. I remember, Getting this album, I had just finished my first year of law school and I was actually interning at the time at the DA's office. And when I was driving to the DA's office, I was listening to this album for the first time in the car after I had picked it up and I was like rocking out. And the guy that I was driving with probably thought I was insane because this was, he had never heard anything like this, but I was just so excited. And he's like, what is this? I'm like, this is the follow-up to tyranny, which means absolutely nothing to him. (laughs) But to me, I'm like marking out as I'm listening to this, this was a fantastic disc. And I was shocked going back at how much of it I actually remembered just because um, I played the hell out of it. But then I I haven't listened to it in a while and I just couldn't believe how much of it I remembered. It was, I'm not going to say it was ingrained in my memory, like some of uh, the older albums that I listened to countless times, but uh, I I know this album very very well, and I I was really happy that I got to go back and listen to it again because there are some absolute gems on this the, this album. What's interesting to me though is you know it, it opens up with this kind of um, this instrumental track, and then it goes into a real ballad of comfort me. I, I don't know that I've heard another album where the the first main track is a ballad. Well, and I also you know I think that the reason is because. You're not supposed to l- look at it like it's the first part, like of an album. You're actually listening to the third act, sure, of the story. So it gives them the opportunity to just completely go off conventional Sorry. wisdom. Yeah, and, and and you're you're totally right. It didn't even really dawn on me just because it's so normal for me to hear this manhunt. Like I actually today I'd never really listened to Tyranny and room five back to back. And I, unfortunately I did not have the time today to do so, but I really wanted to listen to room five one more time. So I listened to the last three tracks of tyranny and then put on room five just to kind of get, just to get, just to see how it feels. And it flows 
right. It's like you're right back into that story. And I think reading uh, the story, how the story continues from tyranny, which, you know, is ingrained in my memory forever uh, from my, especially from my most formative years as a metal fan. Um, now getting to find out like what, what, not just, I get to hear more of shadow gallery, but um, what, what, like, where did the story go? Um, that made me appreciate it even more. So yeah. Uh, getting back to what you said, you start out with, with manhunt, which is akin to chase, which is um, another instrumental track from tyranny where the guitars make it actually sound like someone being chased. It's, it's really amazing what they do here. And again, like this guy is still on the run. So this is, <clears throat> you know, setting up that, that story. And then we go, go into comfort me, which is another, again, shadow gallery, just showing how good they are at writing these beautiful ballad songs. And, and we welcome back Laura Jager, who, um, you know, how much we missed you for, since tyranny. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and one other thing about Manhunt, I just, before we go on, you know, you talked about the seamless transition. That's because, you know, the piano melody in Manhunt is taken right from Christmas day. So it's, it, it is a seamless transition because it was the track that immediately precedes it in the story. Right. And it's interesting too, because if you, when tyranny initially came out, you know, you hear a song like Christmas day and you're like, it sounds like it would be the end of the story as a song. Like it's just this very calm, like, you know, this is the end of our story. It's Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Like, nope, there's a whole nother two acts of, of the, this poor man going, <laughs> this poor man, just like his life is just dragged through the mud by, by this government agency that's coming after him. And his, 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 uh, his wife dies under, under, you know, uh, questionable circumstances then his daughter grows up and ends up being kidnapped and and the, the story ends we don't even know if he ends up finding the daughter like right, right. so it's 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 such a it's such a roller coaster ride of emotions if you're following along with the story but musically i mean it's it's excellent it's some of shadow gallery's best work yeah i, I agree I, I think that if i had a, a complaint it would be that there's a lot of instrumental tracks on this disc not that it's a complaint just noting it for the record some of the tracks or a lot of the tracks seem to be a lot of mid-paced songs, whereas I thought that Tyranny did a better job with the pacing in the sense that some of the tracks, some of the tracks were really heavy and fast. Then you had beautiful ballads. Then you had heavier, slower songs. It was, it was a little bit more up and down, whereas this is kind of the same pace for a lot of it. Um, that's my knock on the album, but by and large, again, a worthy, worthy, um, follow-up and i should note this actually came out with a limited edition second disc which sounds nothing like and is not part of the story but it's really cool um it has an acoustic version of rain uh, a demo version of memories and uh, in addition to two other tracks there's a 20 almost a 25 minute ode to pink floyd on here we are arjun you lucasin does a uh sings part of sheep which is obviously a pink floyd classic um and it just they do they actually managed to splice about 24 or 25 pink floyd classics into a 24 minute track or a 25 minute track really well done i'm not gonna hold myself out as a a um pink floyd um aficionado but i know enough and i recognize a lot of these songs weaved in and out of uh this this long track called floydian memories and if you haven't heard that i definitely recommend it and i'll i'll post it this week if you if you haven't had a chance to hear it this might this might be the only thing i didn't get a chance to listen to just because the 24 minute 
length of it was a little bit daunting and there was other stuff that I really wanted to focus in on, but this is kind of cool because shadow gallery hadn't to this point, never really released much in the way of bonus tracks or, or extras or anything like that. So it was kind of neat that they threw this in here. There's, there's a, um, Joe Navolo does a, a drum solo that you would like something that you would pick out of a, a power metal set list at a live show. Um, it's just uh, really cool stuff. Just, uh, you know, kind of almost in a way, like you just went through this, you know, 75 minute, like serious story of, with all the serious music. And now it's like, all right, let's like lighten the mood a little bit and, and have some fun. And, and that it was, it's a nice little, uh, nice little, you know, turn from, from the actual album itself. Um, the album itself, um, I have to say like three songs really, um, stood out to me that besides the two that I was familiar with going into it. And that was, um, thou torn and rain, uh, all one word songs for whatever reason, but, um, they, they, in the last week have become three of my all time favorite shadow gallery songs. Um, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Not no disrespect to torn, but thou and rain for me are the two highlights on this. Yeah. I, I, I'm mad at myself. Um, for, waiting for so long to really give this album the the listen that it deserved. But at the same time, there's something so amazing at being 38 years old and still getting to hear something a bit older that just excites you. And, and it makes me think like, I'm, I'm always going to go back and listen to this and, and just be able to enjoy it in a way that I never have before. So yeah, you know, I'm late to the party, but at least I showed up. Well, welcome because um, this this I played the hell out of this disc when I when I first when I first got it, and I think that much like a lot of the albums from the last fifteen or so years, the market has been flooded by so many bands releasing so many albums that, unlike say in nineteen ninety eight, where I would just play Tyranny on repeat, I listened to Room Five a lot, but then I kind of didn't listen to it for a while and, and and it's been a while since I've listened to it and I as I said I I was surprised at how much I remembered but it's just I I feel like so much new stuff has come out that that's why it's a privilege that we get to go back and listen to this kind of an album because I don't know that I would have played it again uh or at least it wouldn't have been in heavy rotation as it was for the last couple of weeks but uh it was definitely nice to go back I'm curious I I know it's not tyranny but where does it rank in terms of the pantheon and and is it carved in stone level for you? Is it a nine point five, or is it, or or is it just slightly below that? I'm just, you know, guessing here. Um, you're pretty much right on. I would give this a nine point two five, and with room to grow, uh, because nice. it's yeah. not. It, it's been. It's like my favorite album of this week. Like, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. Um, I think that in time, much like tyranny has had all this time to marinate in my in my mind uh in such a joyful way i think this album is going to to be similar um if i comparing it to carved in stone it just doesn't have the nostalgia um of probably it also hasn't marinated as long too yeah well a week versus you know <laughs> however many years i don't even want to count uh it's bad enough i had to admit my age on the show um <laughs> So, and, and, you know, getting to the part of the discussion that I was kind of 
I don't want to say I wasn't looking forward to, but it, it's just such a, it's such a bummer. Um, this would be the last. Before you get there, and let me just, I, I, I know where you're going. So I'll just say it's a nine for me as well. Oh, I, I apologize. This is, it's not their best album. It probably, to me, it doesn't have the nostalgia album uh, factor, but it is easily their third best album. And I'll say that some of those tracks live are fantastic. And I think that that to me is, is a big part of this because I have such fond memories of hearing some of those tunes live. Um, but with that, uh, I'll, I'll let you get back to to what you were saying. Yeah, well, so this is the last uh, this is the last album that would feature Mike Baker uh, on vocals, and and um, bef- uh, he he would pass away unfortunately at the very young age of forty five um, from a heart attack on October 29th, two thousand eight. Uh, before he had died. Um, Shadow Gallery had left Magna Carta and Room 5 was their first album not on that that label. Um, it was actually on the Inside Out label. And so my, uh, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing that they probably had uh, one more album that they were obliged to release under the Magna Carta label or Magna Carta just wanted to, you know, cash in on a Greatest Hits album, but they released a, a compilation album called prime cuts and um nothing that you hadn't already heard or or anything we haven't already discussed but they did tack on an unreleased demo um of a song called rule the world that was uh recorded uh it was meant for to be on carved in stone if you listen to it the production is more akin to the the self-titled album but Jeez, even their unreleased songs are, are better than most bands. You know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, there there are demo tracks um, that we'll get to on Digital Ghosts in just a second. That I mean, blow you away. Uh, and and uh, I never had Prime cuts. I'll, I'll admit, just because I, um, you know, to be honest, I, I had all the songs, but for Rule the World. But having gone back and heard that, it's fantastic, and, and it's not a surprise. Yeah, and and it also it just seems like such a Try like trying to pick a like a, a seventy five to eighty minute selection. Even though Shadow Gallery had only released um, four albums with Magna Carta, because there's nothing from Room Five on here. Uh, even that just seems so daunting to me. Like if I were to make a a Shadow Gallery's greatest hits album off their first four albums, it would 
have to be at least two discs. I, I mean, it'd and probably just be easier and to... Not, and it may only include two or three songs off of these 11, you know? Like, it's... Yeah. it's, it's, it's it, I almost feel like... Numbers. I almost feel like it'd be easier to just hand somebody a stack of the four discs and just be like, here... Off from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, but just an interesting little thing. Like, Shadow Gallery never really struck me as the type of band that would have a greatest hits album, but, you know, what the heck. It, it was something that they threw in there. So, um... Getting back to, to Mike Baker, um, what what is Mike Baker's legacy to you? Um, clearly, he uh, he left us way too soon. I, I kind of put him on a short list of uh, along with Mac from Threshold, and um, I want to say there was a third person off the top of my head that I always think of that we just lost way too soon. Andre Matos. Yeah, that's another good one. But I think there was somebody else too um, that wasn't as recent. But whatever the case may be, um, you know, this is a guy, and and I'm glad that maybe we didn't talk that much about him so far, so that we can kind of focus on his legacy. Now, this is a guy that um, Aaron Lucasin, you know, asked to sing on, I believe, more than one Arion album, which to me is is how you know. I, I believe Kurt Cobain once said when. Weird Al does a, a parody of one of your songs. That's how you know you made it. And to yep, me, like yep. in metal, if 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 Aaron asks you to be on an Arion album, that's how you know you made it. And so, um, you know, to me, like it sucks so much that we never got to see him live. But then again, no one did. So yeah, it's 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 you talk about his legacy. I've he was always one of my favorite singers always and and that goes back to even the debut album some of the stuff some of the weight just the way that he holds himself out and and the and the the clearness and the crispness of his vocals and the ability to sing some of these you know some of these flawless ballads that they have on every one of their discs and, and just the ability for him to sing over the piano or the keyboard solos uh, you know, the, the, the interludes in many places, he's just, he is, the world lost him way too soon. Um, I would have, I would have killed just to hear him with an acoustic guitar sing like at a private bar somewhere. Uh, not that he didn't deserve to be singing in stadiums, but like not being able to see that will always be a regret of mine just because, yeah, nobody got to see him, but I would have liked to have had the chance and he was so young. Um, I was kind of surprised when they were when they said they were going to release another album because I almost thought that as a founding member of the band, as Mike Baker went, so did the band. If that makes any sense, I, I, um, I, I was happy when 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 um, the band announced that they would basically be finishing up this 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 digital ghost record. I was just surprised that they ever released it. If that makes sense, uh, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that. Being that Shadow Gallery always had such a a, a long a long not long but longer than most bands break you know breaks in between albums that there a lot of this album was probably put together prior to, to Mike's passing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can you can hear listen, and, and we're, we're going to get to Digital Ghosts, you know, obviously in a moment. Brian Ashland takes over on vocals and he lays down many of the vocal tracks on 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 their final or I should say their latest release let's hope it's not their final um but you can clearly hear in his vocals why they chose him to finish up the album and because in many ways he does 
justice to Mike Baker because they have a single similar phrasing and, and just a similar approach to some of these songs. And if you close your eyes, you don't think it's Mike Baker, but you can hear what Mike Baker would have sounded like had he sang on those songs, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's hard to imagine a better choice. And it's such an unenviable position for anyone to be in. I mean, following a, a founding vocalist um, in any case is difficult. Um, you know, ask Andy Darris or or uh, Blaze Bailey or or, yeah. or anybody that, that like, you know, fez- will forever be compared to their predecessor. I feel like um, maybe, you know, Brian has a little bit of an easier time just because it's not like, you know, it was some sort of like band fight and Mike Baker left the band under, you know, crappy circumstances. I mean, it was just them trying to find somebody that they thought could do justice to a, a, a an unfollowable act. And, and he really did. And this is another album that I really didn't pay close enough attention to upon its initial release. And again, this week I listened to it a lot and um, it's a, it's, if it's the last shadow gallery album and, and like you said, and like Amy mentioned in her comment earlier, we hope that it's not. And when it comes to musicians like, like Gary and Carl and, and Brent and Joe, um, I just don't see them not having that, that, creative you know the, i feel like that creative mind is always is always working and so i think that even if we don't know i'm sure that there's a lot of ideas and and maybe even some notes being written down on some pages and um i would be shocked if we never hear another shadow gallery studio release again but if we have i think that they went out on a really good note with a really strong album with some really cool guest spots and some really neat bonus tracks. Yeah, that's very well said. I had mentioned earlier that I really was surprised at how much I remembered from Shadow Gallery. Uh, Not because I didn't play them enough, but just because, you know, it's with all the other stuff going on and, you know, people getting older, I I just, I really was surprised at how much I, I remembered and remembered vividly. When it got to Digital Ghosts, I didn't remember this album much at all. And and the funny thing is, I remember getting it much like all the other discs when it came out in the States here. Uh, I guess it was like early November 2009. I remember getting my hands on this disc and I remember playing it and playing it. I just, for some reason, it didn't, I, I didn't remember the album nearly as much as I did the other ones. Um, which is a little ironic because it was the most recent release, obviously. But um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. And and, and a, a couple of notes that I just think are worth mentioning. Um, first and foremost, it, it, the way it's kind of structured, I, I have the limited edition of this with, with multiple bonus tracks. Um, first of all, I, I think that the demos are very, very interesting. And then we'll get to the album itself. There's an, uh, one of the tracks, Gold Dust, is actually sung by Carl Cadden James, which is, is interesting because it just goes to sh- – I talked about the background vocals. He's a fantastic singer. He could be fronting the band. He's that good, uh, although he's obviously uh, more concerned with jumping around and playing bass, which is awesome. Um, but he's he's got a great vocal uh, vocal style, and I love the fact that he does the background vocals because you can see on a track like that just how good he is. Then you have a track like World of Fantasy, which is another bonus track, which was a demo 
sung by Mike Baker. And it was just so nice to be able to hear him sing songs again, because um, again, having not remembered this album, I almost forgot that he was on that demo and it's fantastic. It's just really, really good. And also you had mentioned some of the additional musicians. You have Ralph Sheepers singing lead vocals on the track Strong, uh, Clay Barton from Suspire who sang lead vocals on Venom. And we'll get to Clay Barton in a second because um, he has something to do with something that happens about a year after this album is released. And then you have uh, like somebody like Vivian Lalu, who's just a keyboard wizard playing on, on keyboards on, on the actual Gold Dust album track. Um, these guest spots were cool because it's just, you know, that's something that they've done in the past, but it's something that I kind of forgot were on this disc until I listened to it again. I, I want to say, and you can tell me if it was the same experience for you, but I want to say that maybe my hesitation to listening to this album, it, to me, it always felt kind of like an epitaph for Mike Baker and I don't know if it just kind of made me feel somber or subconsciously like, you might be right yeah. I, I I don't know if I can put put a finger on it and I'd be lying to you if I said that was the reason I, I know it for a fact but there might be something there um but you know despite the fact that it has a little bit of a different feel it's a really strong disc and and one other bonus track that I think I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you listen to Stingray which is kind of like a, uh, I think it was a, a bonus track from either Japan or, or, or South Korea. It's a track. It's an eight. Oh, it's almost a nine-minute track that features DC Cooper, um, and it's a lot different than New World Order. It's not as heavy. It is more in the classic style of the band. You know, I'm not saying that. Oh, uh, I'll say it this way: Would it be interesting if DC Cooper sang on their next release? I just put it out there. He does such a great job on this particular song. I would love to hear it like a seventh and and. God forbid, final album with DC Cooper fronting. I think it would be really interesting. You know, it's so funny that you mentioned that because when I was listening to this song, which I had no recollection of at all, um, I was thinking the same thing to myself. Like, wow, wonder what would it have been like if they if they had DC Cooper um, be the be the new singer for Shadow Gallery. Like, would it be would it feel too much like Royal Hunt or 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 I don't know. Like I, I, I like, I'm kind of glad they went with Brian Ashland just because I feel like I had never heard him before. So I think that I'll always hear him and think of shadow gallery. Whereas with DC Cooper, I always think of Royal Hunt or sure. or silent force. Um, but this song is awesome. I, yeah, I, I'm not yeah. sure how, why it didn't make the, the, the final cut, cut. Yeah. or maybe, maybe they just needed to give 
uh, Japan a bonus track because um, Shadow Gallery, like I said before, never really did much in the way of B sides and bonus tracks over the year. Over the years, this might be one of two like proper bonus tracks that aren't just like um, like a whole limited edition disc that gets included. Um, but uh, this is a really really good song. Like um, it's one of my favorite of the eight main tracks on the album if you include it um it's one of my favorites uh yeah i agree i i was i was um i was almost blown away by it i just couldn't believe how good it was and it just started getting me thinking um about what it might be like to hear them with um you know like with with we hear him do more lead vocals for them not that again and i think brian ashland's great i just it, it just got the wheels thinking you know up above um and and what's interesting to me is that well first of all i guess i'll, I'll ask you what do you rate this disc um and did any tracks in particular stand out to you um honestly they they all did um gold dust was one that i was always that was the one i always was familiar with and i think it's because they had released a music video for it and you know me in music videos so um that one always kind of stuck out to me but um i mean I love um I love hearing Ralph Sheeper's vocals on a Shadow Gallery song. Like, yeah, talk, I talk mean, about talk, some, oh something God, that you wouldn't yeah. ex- ever expect to hear this this you know seminal German power metal vocalist who for years uh sang with Gamma Ray and Primal Fear. Um it, he fits right in and what's great about Ralph Sheeper's is that like his low register and his high register almost sound like two different vocalists and he gets to to show off both in this song. Um, and you mentioned uh, uh, Clay Barton from Suspire doing the vocals on Venom. This is another one where it's like, I completely forgot for like a brief second. I thought I was, I thought it was Russell Allen. I'm like, what was Russell Allen on a Symphony <laughs> X album? And then I looked it up. I was like, Oh, that's right. It was Clay from Suspire. Um, yeah. it, it's, they did such a good job considering that like Mike had left, left us and, and, you know, instead of having Brian do everything, they were like, you know, let's bring in some, some um other singers and and spread the wealth and i think it's interesting that the album is called digital ghosts because i want to mention uh, you know you mentioned those bonus tracks to me like it's almost that last track world of fantasy that demo always reminded me of listening to Mike Baker from the great beyond kind of singing like his final, his final song. And I can't listen to that song and not like feel incredibly moved by that. And and I think now that enough time has passed that I can really appreciate this whole album. um, 
I think the bonus tracks really add so much to it because it's only seven tracks without the bonus tracks. Um, but just to be able to hear Mike again on, on two shadows and world of fantasy and just kind of have him back for a little while. Um, and then just have shadow gallery go out with their, you know, their last album that's been released with Mike Baker singing. It, it, it's kind of perfect. Um, I, would probably give this album, I would say I'd put, give it a, a 8.75. Nice. I, you know, to me, uh, the, the real standout track to me was pain. I thought that Brian's vocals on that track were phenomenal. And I think it's, I think it's probably the best song on the disc proper, not, not, not talking about bonus tracks. Um, that, that really stood out to me. It's an 8.5 for me as well. Uh, I know you had it slightly higher, but this is a really good album and that I, I guess I overlooked for one reason or another, and it was I'm glad that I got to hear it again, and I'm actually going to keep it in rotation because um, it's it's it it deserves more spins than I guess I either gave it or or just not not knowing it as well as I thought I might have. Um, I look forward to going back and listening to it again and again uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, and, and I guess with that, you know, we, we've kind of gone through the whole history here, but again, we 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 haven't talked about them playing live, and and sure enough, that would happen albeit sometime later, almost a year later, actually. Shadow Gallery did play live and actually did tour for this record, which was the first time in the band's history uh, that they would do that. And they, uh, from what I understand, had been invited to play uh, on, on a cruise. Uh, some, you know, Obviously, that being all the rage. They had uh, been invited to, to play on the Triton Power Cruise in uh, April of 2010, but the cruise was canceled. So um, they were announced as the headliner of Prague Power Europe, and, and fittingly so, uh, which was scheduled to take place in October of 2010. And while in Europe, they did a full uh, little headlining tour of 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 of, of Europe to 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 um, kind of you know piggyback off of the Prague Power experience. However, uh, before they would go to Europe on September 5th of 2010. They would play their first live show in, I guess it was more of a hometown gig in Tannersville, Pennsylvania. And have I got a story about this show? Uh, I, I had gotten married, uh, three days before that show, but I didn't go on my honeymoon because I had to go see Shadow Gallery at the Barley Creek Brewing Company. Uh, truth be told, I was going on my honeymoon, uh, a couple of months later, but when I found out that this show had been announced for uh, the Sunday of the weekend that I got married, I dragged my wife uh, to this show and I got to see their debut live performance um, in, in Pennsylvania with Suspire opening, who we had mentioned earlier. Uh, I will never, ever, 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 ever forget that show, not only because it was the first Shadow Gallery show, but because they opened the show with Stiletto in the Sand and War for Sale. And you have to appreciate at the time I saw the show, I had no idea what they were playing. I, I kind of got the impression they would play the new album and maybe we would get one or two of the old songs. But when they went right into Tyranny, I lost my ever-living mind. I uh, I don't have a ton of regrets in my life. Uh, most of them surround concerts that I didn't attend. <laughs> and this is most, most doubtedly one of them. And... In all honesty, if I my recollection is the reason why was because um, I had attended your wedding and then literally went 
back to upstate New York for like five days and then hopped on a plane and flew to Atlanta for Prague power. So the, I, as much as I wanted to go to this, it just, I, correct me if I'm wrong. It was on a Sunday, Sunday, right? Yeah, it was a Sunday afternoon. It was in Ta- Tannersville, Pennsylvania. And for those that aren't familiar, it's Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, about for me, it was about an hour and a half away from New York City where I am. Um, and, and they announced, like I said, they announced this show and, and I just had to be there. And they, they, they played in a, a full set outside at, in the back area of a brewery on this like small stage. The band is jumping around like they're playing in front of Madison Square Garden. Uh, I, I'm sure they were excited to be doing their first show. And I was like, in like hysteria that I was finally getting to see this stuff live. I won't read you the set list, but they hit every single one of their albums, uh, including the debut. Uh, they just, I mean, it was one of the most memorable shows I have ever seen. And I would kill to hear a recording of it. Although as far as I know, it doesn't exist. So if there's a bootleg at it somewhere and somebody gets wind of this, please send it my way. I'm dying to hear it. Um, and, and I was just so happy because, you know, they, they do this full European tour after this show. And I was kind of thinking I would never have the chance to see them again. But as luck would have it, um, they would not only headline Prague Power Europe in 2010, but three years later, they would headline the Prague Power USA Festival where we both saw them. So before we talk about that um, question, Shadow Gallery up until this point, of your visiting Tannersville, Pennsylvania, which is now the, uh, the destination for all honeymoons in the U S yeah. um, shadow gallery had been in some form or another a band since 1985. So this is 25 years in the making. Did this band sound like a band that had never played a live show in 25 years? They were so tight. As I was saying, this band it was was so tight. I I could not believe that this was a band that hadn't played together, you know, in, in a live setting. I, they were. It was as if they had been doing this every single day, um, you know, for for all of their adult lives. And I had heard a rumor, and I, and I don't want to say that this is gospel or anything like that. In fact, I don't believe it to be true. But I'd be remiss if I didn't say that I had heard rumors that the band didn't play live for either. And again, rumors, not true, but stage fright that Mike Baker couldn't sing live. These were rumors that were going around around the time because, again, they had been together formerly a shadow gallery now for 18 years. But let me tell you something. From Brian Ashland to every one of the backup vocalists to to the musicians, they were one of the tightest live bands I have ever seen. And and let me tell you, I have seen a number of, of live bands. I've seen hundreds of shows this was up there with one of the best that I've ever seen. Well, it says it all right there. Yeah. So, Unfortunately, uh, you 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 did get your chance to see them a couple of years later, as we were saying. Like uh, they 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 headlined Prague Power USA on September sixth, two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, I mean, fast forward two years, and it's uh, it's Prague Power uh, in two thousand twelve, and you know, as we've talked about in the past, uh, Glenn's big video announcement of uh, who's playing the fest next year, and. You know, I, I'd always heard these stories that Glenn had tried to to get Shadow Gallery to to play a show at Prague Power because, I mean, for a band like Shadow Gallery that obviously wasn't touring, this is a perfect place to do a one-off show. It's in their home country, uh, you know, why not? And um, I guess persistence pays off because when that logo, when that Shadow Gallery logo showed up on that screen, I 
I almost keeled over. I was so thrilled and so excited that, you know, I missed my brewery show and, and, um, we would go on to find out that they would play at the, the, uh, at Ross Fest, um, that same year, but, uh, I didn't attend. Part of me kind of wanted center stage to be where I saw Shadow Gallery for the first time. And I'm glad that I waited because, wow. Um, first of all, can we just talk about the entire crowd singing every word to Bohemian Rhapsody before the band even came out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was that, – that you knew you were in for a treat when, when – when any band that comes out to Bohemian Rhapsody, I, right off the bat, you know that they're somebody special because you basically have to now top Queen, right? Which in and of itself is – damn near impossible but the the crowd is is going nuts before they even take the stage and and by the way there are videos uh some of these songs on youtube we'll we'll post one or two of them during the week um what a follow-up set this was to the one i had seen three years earlier and much like we were discussing earlier a couple of surprise guests that decided to come out during uh about three quarters of the way through the set oh i just remember shadow gallery posting on social media and God, we've gone from uh, dial-up internet to uh, social media all in one episode. But um, them just posting, who'd like to, or was I can't was it Shadow Gallery or was it DC I posted it himself? But it was like, who wants to see DC Cooper sing New World Order at Prague Power with Shadow Gallery? And I'm like, like a third grader raising my hand, like I do, <laughs> yeah. I do. And and sure enough, uh, they got DC on board for this, and you know. I don't think I would have wanted to hear New World Order perform live without him, and I'm so glad that he was there to do it because it was the perfect performance uh, to just have him there. Um, it really tied the whole experience together, and they they pretty much hit like every every uh, era of the band. I think they played something from every album. Yep. Um, they did not play New World Order when I saw them at that debut show. So I think that – and I don't know if they did it on the European tour, but I, I know for a fact that uh, I wouldn't have wanted to hear it without without DC. And, and, I, and I can – I'm actually getting chills talking about it because I just remember being on the floor of the venue watching that and being just – I couldn't believe it. It was like – I felt like I was 16 again, except I was actually seeing it live. But unlike other bands, the anticipation had been there for so many years that it was like the culmination of of, of you know twelve or fifteen years of fandom just coming to a head right there, and that's having seen them already. It yep. was it was and that good. I, I just I remember we were standing. I think there was maybe one row of people in front of us. Like we were that close to the rail. Like I, the second the band before them finished, I was like, okay, I need to get my spot because this is something that I've waited. 15 how many years was it a lot of years it was yeah, a lot 15 of it, years i mean 15, this is 2013 so it's yeah. got to be 15 years 15 16 years something i never thought i would see ever um and it was just fabulous and, and brian ashland was just phenomenal um you know like i was completely just transformed back to all those moments of of listening to to the band over the years and then for them in the middle of the set to just go into this like mini tyranny thing with war for sale and mystery and new world order with dc and then finishing it off with chased and ghost of a chance oh. and then and then to, and then to finish the set with crystalline dream um it was wonderful one of the really great surprises for me at this show was them playing don't ever cry just remember which i do not remember seeing 
on previous set lists and I could be wrong, but I wasn't expecting to hear that song and that blew me away getting to hear that live. I was, yeah, so I never expected, I never expected that. That was, uh, and, and they did it like, if I'm not mistaken, it was towards the very front end of the set. So to me, it was just like a real surprise. And it also kind of paved the way for the, like, if, if they're playing this as like the second or third song, what the heck is going to come after this? And somehow they topped it with DC, but it was just a, uh, it, it was a it was a fantastic show, and uh, if I don't get to see them again, I, I'm blessed that I got to see them the two times that I did. Yeah, it's it, it was it's. It, I'm glad that we kind of were able to wrap things up. Not on the their singer died, and and they released an album, and then they rode off into the sunset. It's great that we were able to kind of wrap things up in such a positive way that the band got out there and people got to see them live for the first time and, and they were great at it. Like it's professional. It, it, yeah. I mean, you're just talking about, you're just talking about every one of these guys is so proficient and, and make it look so easy. Uh, it's just a shame. And again, I, I think that, I think that because they didn't tour for so many years, they just never reached the stratosphere that they should have otherwise hit. Um, but, that's again just my opinion, but they they should have been right there with Dream Theater in the in in Symphony X in the late you know in the late nineties early two thousands and just kind of catapulted themselves. But uh, you know life gets in the way and, and, and other factors are at play. But you know as a fan of the band, I, I just couldn't have been any happier having gotten to see them. Well, as far as I'm concerned, and this is just me speaking personally, Shadow Gallery may very well be my favorite progressive metal band of all time. And you mentioned dream theater and symphony X. If I had to, if I had to only keep one of the three bands, shadow gallery, dream theater and symphony X, I'm keeping shadow gallery. Well, there you have it. Now I'm going to ask you one more question. I've got two more things I want to say. Number one, do you have a track of the week for the actual band? I mean, obviously we do this for the album. Give me one song that everyone should listen to this week. Obviously, listen to everything, but what, what, give me a song from from the entire discography. I'm curious oh, to see what you go with. I, you know, I didn't really think of one because it's so hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah. even if you asked me to pick one song per album, I would have it's impossible. I'd have a hard time. Um, I, I'm just. I guess I'm going to go with something from Tyranny, just because I said it was my favorite of all the albums. Um, uh, I'm gonna just what, say I'm one the- thing. I have I have a song written down. Uh, I have my song, and it happens to be from Tyranny as well. We have not picked the same 25 weeks. We have not picked the same one. It would be ironic where we weren't confined to an album if we actually picked the same song. But let's see what you let, let's see what you got. Uh, I, I I go with New World Order. All right, very good. That is not what I picked, but uh, uh, certainly a a fantastic choice in its own right. Uh, given everything that's going on right now, there's a lot of, a lot of craziness that's been going on, especially for the last year. I'm going to go with Hope for Us just because I think it's timely and it's one of the most beautiful ballads I've ever heard by anyone. That's my song of the week. Uh, but before we go, uh, two things. Number one, you want to tell the Gamma Ray story? Because I'm still kind of confused as to what happened on January 28th of 2011. Oh my God, that was so funny. Um I had driven down from uh, Rochester with my friend Caleb to see Gamma Ray play. They had just gotten back from the 70,000 tons of metal tour, tour uh, cruise. And um, they tacked on like a, a handful of us shows since they were over here anyway, right afterwards. And uh, I was like, heck yeah, I'll go see Gamma Ray. Um, 
it's might've been the last time I've seen them live as a matter of fact. Um, but, uh, we came down, um, and I remember after the show was over, you like nudged me and you were like, uh, Carl Cadden James is standing in the crowd watching Gamma Ray with his wife or girlfriend, whoever. And, um, I don't think I would have been able to pick Carl Cadden James out of a lineup at that time. <laughs> I don't think you would have been able to pick him out of a crowd of two. Two, yeah. never mind the lineup. I mean, now after seeing him perform at Prague Power, like I could, I, I could, I picture him in in my mind playing a flute most of <laughs> on most days. Um, but but at the time, I didn't know who I didn't know really what anybody in Shadow Gallery looked like. I mean, I had stopped buying physical albums. Probably the last one I bought was Legacy, uh, and then everything was digital after that. And so, like my knowledge of what they looked like was probably what they were. You know, they were probably wearing puffy shirts and had long per- permed hair on the <laughs> in the carved in stone booklet. So this was um, now to be clear, this was about four months after I had seen them. But you want to talk about a fish out of water? When I think of two bands, I, I don't hear many similarities between Gamma Ray and Shadow Gallery. I love them both. I don't hear the similarities. Uh, so to hear, just to see Carl just rocking out was a surprise to say the least. But I know without a shadow of a doubt it was him. I just was surprised to say the least well it's kind of funny because i I read this quote on um on wikipedia that um gary Werecamp had said that um the band likes everything from tori amos to to old metallica alice cooper typo (laughs) negative nine inch nails and gamma ray (laughs) so oh wow no kidding yeah so so uh, as well as well as uh heavy influences from you know, Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, and Judas Priest, and 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 as well as Rush, Pink Floyd, and Dream Theater, it, it really is in a lot of ways that that perfect marriage of of that the classic heavy metal style with the prog rock style, um, done to perfection. Yeah, I mean, it, I really find that uh, to put a bow on on Shadow Gallery as a band, I really find that they were really unique and that there weren't a lot of bands even after them that that really did what they did and i think that's really the thing that that should be remembered about this band's legacy and history and if it's it's as far as it goes it's as far as it goes if there's more awesome but um that i think that their legacy should be that they they beautifully combined uh, prog rock and classic heavy metal and created something that wasn't a, another dream theater clone or, or anything like that. They, they did their own thing and they did it really, really well. I am not going to even add anything to that. I think that's exceptionally well said. Um, obviously two big fans of the band and we're happy that we got to do this and thank you for the requests. Um, Pivoting for just a moment, I, I want to read You know, we had said that if you had left us a review, we'd be happy to read it. So I want to read one now. This one comes to us from Y-M-A-S-L-L-E. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, she, he or she says, quote, such a fun listen. If you want to get excited about listening to metal or maybe an album you aren't familiar with, this podcast is great. Their love for metal and music in general is fun to listen to and has encouraged me to listen to bands I may not have given the time before. Keep up the great work. So thank you again, Y-M-A-S-L-L-E, for the review. Please keep the reviews coming, especially if you think that uh, you, you like what you're listening to. We appreciate them, and we'll make sure to read them on the air. And, and I guess with that, 
that leads us to next week. And I had texted you about an hour before the show. I said, don't forget to pick something. Do you have something in mind for next week? And your answer was, I haven't picked anything yet. So I'm very curious to see uh, what it is we're doing next week. Well, uh, it kind of has come about naturally. And I decided about 30 seconds ago what we're going to talk about next week. And uh, it kind of works in a, in a fairly seamless fashion considering pretty much the last thing we talked about was Carl Cat and James attending a Gamma Ray concert. So how about next week? We talk a little bit of Gamma Ray. Nice. Now the question of course is what album? Because I think that you could go in a lot of different directions with this. Yeah. Um, so obviously not the easiest choice in the world because Gamma Ray has um, a lot of, a lot of really good albums and I'm, sure that we're going to talk about more than one of them and uh i i, I kind of want to do somewhere out in space then from 1997 that that's um it wasn't my first gamma ray album but um it, it's it's just one of those albums that every time i go back and listen to it i'm just like man power metal in the late 90s was just on fire and this this album is, is no exception they, they don't make them like they used to but i look forward to going back because this is uh this is definitely a classic i haven't listened to it in a while and um i know what my preconceived notions are before having listened to it again but uh i'll, I'll enjoy spending this week listening to it again um so with that we'll put a bow on it for this week that's that shadow gallery next week we'll do some gamma ray and we uh thank you everyone for listening Leave us a positive review so other people can help find the show, and uh, we'll go from there. Take it easy, bud. Okay, I'm going to go try to find some lozenges. (laughs) Not a bad idea. I'll talk to you later, buddy. All right, take care.